Hello, hello, everyone. My name is John Edwards. With me, as always, is Zeke Baker. And together, we make the Dad's Drink of Bourbon. Wherever you are, whatever time it is, thank you for making us a part of your day. Say hello to the folks, Zeke. Howdy. So we are going to get right into it, because it is not every day that we have a guest as illustrious as this. Uh, he, is, he is a man who is uh, making a big move, going back to Kentucky. He was living in Austin for a while. I don't know why there are wannabe Nashville, but that's a whole other story. Uh, this guy is coming back and going... <laughs> To Lawrenceburg, uh, Bruce Russell, thank you very, very much for coming on the show. <laughs> hey, how's it going, guys? Um, so, I mean, let's talk about this for a while, because you've been, or for a minute, you've been in Nashville now for a few days. I don't mm-hmm. know how much time you spent here before. But, Quite a lot. You know, you go, to, you go to Austin, they have a stage, mm-hmm. right? They have a street that's like Broadway. I just think Nashville does it better, and then I hate when... Austin tries to say that they're the music capital of the world, and then you come to Nashville. I, I don't know. Uh, I think it kind of depends on what you want to listen to. Nashville will always, to me, be country music. Uh, I grew up and was lucky enough to have parents that loved country and was listening to Garth Brooks and Alan Jackson and that kind of style of 90s stuff. And Nashville will kind of always be that to me. We would come down here and listen to country music or go to Opryland and stuff like that. Look at you giving um, me a serious answer to this. Yeah, but Austin, eh, they ain't got shit like that. Uh, so I, I might be on your side, you know. You got to coat. I prefer I mean, the Nashville style. East East Nashville has a whole bunch of... People forget, like Kings of Leon were from here. But Paramore. Austin was definitely Austin before East Nashville was East Nashville. For sure. And, yeah. Uh, and, until they block off Broadway, at least in the weekends. I mean, 6th Street, there's no cars. You don't have to worry about this. No, 6th Street is like shut down. People roaming the streets. It's... It's a zoo. It's like it's bourbon. What, I mean, it is like bourbon. Less puke, but just like bourbon. <laughs> but they need to do that here because if you think about like Louisville with Fourth Street, you know, the one thing I think Nashville is missing, they they're starting to now do that at certain times, shut down Broadway, but they just need an area where there's no cars. Would go a heck of a lot better. Oh yeah, from Friday to Sunday, just say to hell with it. From Bridgestone down to the river. Yeah. Completely agree. But you've spent a few days here in mm-hmm. Nashville now. Uh, you are, you're kind of, uh, I mean, you're a Russell. Everybody wants to talk to you. You've but done a bunch of store things, uh, signed a bunch of bottles. What would you think about it? What would you think about this uh, whiskey scene in Nashville? Well, I've been coming to Nashville since I was a kid. Um, and I never really even cared about the whiskey scene until the past few years ago in the city of Nashville to me was always a place where you could escape Kentucky, drive three hours South and come to a real cool city. Uh, Cause when I was a kid, nobody thought Louisville was cool. Uh, Louisville's a great city though, but coming down here, I've been really surprised with how much of a, like whiskey society, whiskey nerd, whatever you want to call us people that geek out about stuff that is dusty there's a ton of people like that in Nashville, and I didn't. I, I mean, I know some of the guys that come up and pick barrels and stuff. I just didn't know how big that community was here. I would say, you know, as many people have come up and been like serious whiskey drinkers, it's like being in a New York and LA or Chicago. And I didn't think a city of this size would have that kind of a presence of people that are into dusties or limiteds or secondary market stuff or whatever it is. People that are serious, it's awesome. 
Yeah, and if you look at um, every now and they'll post on some of the bigger secondary boards, you know, where everyone's from. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a lot T- of Tennessee, Tennessee and Nashville. Oh, I mean, yeah. Kentucky's always going to be number one, but I think at this point we may always be number two. There you go. Hey, we I'm going to have to start coming to Tennessee and get the whiskey. I used to just come for the fireworks. <laughs> no, we can't get it. I mean, it is, it is a war zone trying to get whiskey, allocated whiskey, at least here in Nashville, because – the the stuff that's here, you know, every, everybody like you said, there's so many people that are into it. And well, you used to be able to rub in y'all's face that you come up to Kentucky and get the best whiskey for the dollar in the world. Yeah. And now they're getting rid of it. I, well, we used Heaven to go Hill up six get, years breaking my heart. We used to go up and get <laughs> Old Fitz bottled and bond Heaven Hill. Uh, Heck yeah! I, I get your handle for twelve ninety nine. Well, I went and bought that Ezra Brooks one hundred and one mm-hmm. because they're getting rid of that now that they're doing the the uh, barrel strength. Yeah. So I found a store in Nashville that had a case of it. So I went and bought two bottles of that for twenty bucks a piece. You know, you can't get good whiskey for twenty bucks anymore. No, but you can for twenty four dollars, and it's called Wild Turkey one hundred and one. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I do have to say, I am a big, I am a big proponent of uh, Southwest Airlines. Oh yeah, and uh, we we get no money from them. But well, you at, know, Granddad's big time buddies with Herb uh, Keller. I don't know how you say his last name. The guy that actually like started Southwest. That's the reason why they have one on one on their airlines because him and Jimmy are big buddies. Oh, nice. Well, if you yeah. look at my fridge right here, that's a Wild Turkey one on one. That's a Wild Turkey one on one. Heck yeah! I hate to put- say, but I'm a Delta guy. <laughs> No, okay. So you're gonna you're you're young. You're you are you single right now? I, mean, I am, yeah. So one day, take it. I used to be a tech consultant. The companion pass is the best. Forget first class, but being able to take somebody with you anywhere for four dollars is the best perk in all of travel. It is really nice. But that's not good if you're single because you only change it twice per year. I know. But I'm saying once once he gets a little and usually bit older, I'm going to visit. I'm not taking with. <laughs> once he gets a little bit older, he's going to switch over to Southwest to get that companion pass and then two free bags done. Oh, that is nice. But speaking of travel, I mean, you've had to go everywhere. Mm-hmm. You're now moving back home. What's been the transition like as you've been going to, you know, more of a a, a global? I mean, you're still probably going to have to go everywhere, right? But oh, you're yeah. going to be based more in Kentucky now. Well, can, can you talk a little bit more about what, what you're doing, your, your yeah. move? And-, um, and I'll start off by saying the job, especially if you're somebody like Dad and Jimmy. Um, and you're going to hear me call Granddad Jimmy because I don't call him Granddad. I call him Mimi. <laughs> so I just call him Jimmy out on the road and stuff. Uh, but, you know, I've learned through Dad and Jimmy that part of this job and a very important part of this job is travel and preaching the good word and meeting people. And the coolest part of my job now is to come to, like, tonight, I met a guy at a liquor store where we were signing bottles and stuff. He told me a story about meeting my granddad 30 years ago and how much that meant to him. That guy has bought wild turkey every time he's probably come to a liquor store since then. That's the kind of stuff. Lots that, of damn bottles, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, that makes my day. Whenever I hear, like, I had this experience with you also, we're never going to stop traveling. Because uh, I don't think there's any better ambassador than Jimmy or Dad. The moving back to the story, it's been good. Um it's a completely different side of things, the production side. I've done a little bit of that before, before I went down there uh, to Austin, started doing the brand ambassador stuff. It's really fun to be in a distillery with Dad and Jimmy at the same time. I know it's probably not going to last forever. His uh, granddad kind of slows down. He's just doing mostly drinking, not even tasting anymore, you know. Uh, <laughs> they're all he, good too, right? Oh, yeah, they're all good. They're all five stars now, you know. Uh, but he's earned that. And But to, to get a chance to spend time with 
literally the longest tenured master distiller in the history of alcohol. And then also dad is so cool to me to, um, we get along real well, me and them. They don't get along at work that much because they don't think each other's whiskey's any good. Uh, <laughs> Isn't but, that how all, you know, because you're going oh, to have that relationship with your dad here soon, too. You will, but I'm smarter than him. I'm going to tell him everything's good he makes, even if I don't believe it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because whenever I started coming in there, one of the very first things dad did, and this was before I moved the first time, he had me in Warehouse A, which if you've ever come to the store and picked out barrels, that's a warehouse we hang out in. It dates back almost as long as Jimmy's the 1890s. <laughs> and uh, dad took me in there. Very first thing whenever I started to be serious about this. And he was like, all right, we're going to go in here and you're going to taste 10 barrels. And you're going to write down what you taste. You're going to grade them. He's like, nothing you can say is wrong. I just want to see where you're at. And he did it too, blind. And I swear to God, everything we did was completely opposite. <laughs> and then he had Jimmy come in there and Jimmy wrote down the exact same things I did. <laughs> so we learned that day, me and granddad have very similar palates as far as what we prefer. Well, it's okay because... That's kind of like Zeke and I. Everything we do is opposite. I give Dad a hard time now because, you know, there's a lot of people that are dusty hunters and and old uh, whiskey nerds. And Wild Turkey is always like one of the brands everybody goes for. And I'm like, well, I'm glad I got Jimmy's palate because that's what everybody's going crazy for on the secondary. (laughs) Everybody likes that 60s, 70s, 80s stuff. That was all Jimmy. Well, and you can find those decanters (laughs) as long as you filter them out. And then you got like this sweet turkey that looks like it's going to kill someone. I got one in the other room that... You just so, got to be careful. No, no more than a pour or two a week or you get lead poisoning. But other than that, you're good. Yeah. 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 Jimmy's I, only got one eye that's kind of crooked. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, I mean, as you're moving and, and you're going back there, right, do you feel, I mean, obviously, your your family name is, this is the inevitable question. I know you have to answer this everywhere, and I'm sorry mm-hmm. for having to ask it, but what's the pressure like? knowing that you're coming from Jimmy and Eddie, that you know, there, there's a lot to live up to, right? There's a lot more pressure. Um, there's a lot more pressure from the industry than there is from them. Uh, my family is very cool to me. Uh, they've always said, like, do whatever you want. Um, and they pretty much, they were, they're just happy I'm in it because they knew as a young person, I'm not going to stay in Lawrenceburg for the rest of my life. That really wasn't my thing. And the fact that I got a chance to travel around and then come back probably the only reason i'm still with the company because i needed that getting away from home is it like you're kind of amish and you had your rumspringer that's exactly what it was like (laughs) yeah it is but there's no pressure from them and they're really the only people that i care about I, i you know i don't really care what the company thinks of me as far as like my future it's me uh and what other people want luckily what i've talked about the stuff i wanted to do it seems like a lot of other people in the industry whether they're distillery people or bartenders or uh, enthusiasts like y'all they're kind of excited about the same type of stuff and that makes me happy uh so i don't really feel as much pressure as a lot of people probably think i do but there's definitely that's definitely there when people because you hear all the time man big shoes to fill with jimmy big shoes to fill with jimmy big shoes to fill with jimmy i'm like well shit dad's filled them yeah i was i mean when when someone says that you kind of think your dad already had to take Mm -hmm. that on but uh, I, I think that a lot of it is who Jimmy was as a person, even more than a distiller. I think he's as good of a bourbon distiller as ever lived, and I'd fight anybody that said different. He is awesome. But he also is one of the most charismatic, best storytelling. Like, he's everybody's grandpa. It's kind of like his whole uh, shtick. And, I mean, that's who he is. And Dad's never been that type of guy. He wants to be making whiskey. He don't want to 
be on the road as much as Jimmy did. And I think a lot of people have that kind of like, not only was he such a good distiller, which they both are, but Jimmy also is like a, a character. You know, he, he's somebody that somebody one day is going to write a book about and tell the stories about him staying up till five in the morning doing wild shit with people all across the world. There's stories where people like that same guy that was talking to us about that thing talked about him, uh, Jimmy, and old Dave Pickerel going up to the top of Delilah's and p- playing pool and flirting with the bartender named Mary and, you know, having a good old time. And, you know, granddad's 80 years old when this is going on, saying up to four o'clock in the morning with people out in Chicago. And that's people don't forget that. And so he, he's one of a kind. Nobody will ever be him again. Your granddad kind of has a little uh, Ric Flair to him, you know? Yeah, stone cold is what my brother says. Because <laughs> well, you know, like he's kind of got that raspy voice, you know, like, I'm going to kick your ass, boy. He's got Indian, that chaw in yeah. his mouth all the time. He's got a, nobody realizes, like, half the time he's drinking whiskey, there's a red man in his lip. <laughs> like, just chewing away. Interesting flavor profiles, but you know, oh, like yeah. you mentioned, the, he's like I'm getting tobacco on this. The, the, That's how that whiskey got darker to, back in the '60s and '70s. Everybody's like, "Man, look how dark it got oxidized." Like that ain't oxidation. <laughs> there was a good article from uh, on Instagram. It's Rare Bird, but he did you know a nice piece about. Dave's a good guy, man. That that article I thought was just perfect. You know, it was summed up everything nice easily. If anyone hasn't found it, uh, we'll post the link to it when this comes out. But uh, it just speaks volumes to how much he did for the brand everything and and end of the day i think it all fell on his shoulders and he held it up high and and just put it on one of the highest pedestals you can get and uh people ask all the time you know why does turkey taste so different and we we talked about it right before we got on here about some of the stuff that could have been but to be honest i don't think anybody could ever make whiskey like that again he had he lost money Every single year. We were hemorrhaging money because he was just trying to make whiskey the best he possibly could. Dad tells a story when Pernod bought us in 81. They come in and we're just asking basic questions like what your yield was per bushel. He was like, hell, I don't know. (laughs) But the whiskey tastes good, don't it? You know, he wasn't concerned with the bottom dollar. And if you did that today, your your company would last six months. That's why when you look at these new great, some of these new great craft people, shit you gotta charge eighty dollars for two three four year old whiskey because you you can't not make money you at least have to break even but he didn't care back then no we've had some really good people on that that have kind of got into the economics of that in the sense that you know a, a company like you guys you get the grain deals you get all these other things these crafts are paying you know two times what you are for grain oh yeah Did, i mean everybody probably heard if you're like really into the scene independent stave Went short on barrels a few years ago. Guess who wasn't short on barrels? Us, Bean, you know, <laughs> Heaven Hill, the people that were paying big money. Well, he didn't go short. So everybody else. So yeah, that's a big thing. So I have to, I have to say, even with fifteen minutes being on here and and talking to you before we got on, they kind of say, and and I'm allowed to say this because I'm going to take my my hat off. As they kind of say, baldness skips a, a generation. It don't. Um, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I just ain't shaved mine yet. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's so much freeing when you do it. But, you know, if you think about it, I, I, whatever your grandfather has, it's I what would you got. say you probably have some of it. And I'm mm-hmm. not talking about being bald. I'm talking about personality-wise. Absolutely. Do you kind of feel like that is skipped a generation and you see yourself a lot in uh, in your grandfather? Yeah. And I've been, I think that that was a thing my family's kind of said for a long time. My mom's kind of the same way. Both my grandfathers are as cool as Jimmy is, and he probably is maybe even cooler than my other grandpa because Jimmy's a little bit more worldly. He's traveled around and stuff. 
But my mom's dad can tell you funnier stories than Jimmy ever could. He is the same type of Western Kentucky hillbilly kind of, not hillbilly because he was in a holler, but he's from this little old place called Bremen, Kentucky, which if anybody that's listening to this knows about Bremen, they know it's about 12 people and their dogs and cats. <laughs> and that's where him and his family's from. And he has the funniest stories in the world. They're both that way. And so Zeke's from a place like that in Georgia. Are you, the best people in the world, though, come yeah. from places like that. And, uh, yeah, I do think that it kind of skipped because Dad is an introvert. He's a lot more quiet. He's a lot more serious. He he would always rather be at home and doing stuff at the distillery than he would be on the road, like, being wild. And I think I got a lot more of that from Jimmy. You were talking about the, the things that you like are very similar to the, the things your grandfather was doing and, and their similarity there, but... You know, as you're kind of going back and, and you're going to be there and you're obviously going to have some influence now, right? Mm-hmm. What, what do you like? Uh, well, I mean, everybody that has ever listened to anything I've done or knows anything about me probably knows I'm going to be pushing rye. It's my favorite thing that we make. And I think that we, I just think we're positioned in a way with rye that we aren't with bourbon. Everybody's making pretty good bourbon in Kentucky. Everybody's making good stuff. Some's different, but everybody's making good stuff. Even outside of Kentucky now. When you look at some of the stuff coming out of Indiana and some of these newer guys, some people are making good juice. Very few people are making good rye. That's why a lot of people buy it. And the, most of the stuff people buy is also good. But we have a different kind of recipe. We've kind of got a different approach. We've got older aged rye now that, that we can do some cool stuff with. I just think we're in a position we could put some stuff out there nobody else could. So like a master's keep rye? <sighs> yeah, maybe next year. Maybe a, 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 a week's worth. Keep an of, eye out. A week's worth of rye distilling instead of a day. Isn't that right? You do all the rye for a year and a day or something. We used to only do two days for the whole year. We do basically a day in the first season, a day in the second season during the year, and now we're doing multiple days a month. Okay. Uh, so which really picked up. Nice. Do you think there could be a different mash that would come out that maybe would be something that you're into that's a higher rye or? I would really like to, if I got to do whatever I want, you know, if I get keys to the castle, which I don't know if it ever will because we don't own the company. But if, if they let me do whatever I wanted, I would like to go back and not do a high rye because I just don't know if we could do a high rye as good as the people that are doing high rye. I mean, MGP literally has created a distillery that makes some of the best high rye whiskey, if not the best high rye whiskey ever. They're a machine. Like, they know how to make it. But I would really like to do maybe the old... I don't know if you all know. You probably do. We didn't make our rye all the time. So from basically the time Jimmy started until what would be in the bottles until the 80s. We stopped buying it in the 70s. But, you know, you get six or seven years where you've bought it and it's still around. We bought it from Pennsylvania, Maryland, and every now and then you'll see a bottle from Illinois. And they did not use our recipe. I think the recipe on some of that stuff was about 65% rye. And so I'd maybe like to do something like that. And I've seen, I think, it might have been Brown Foreman that, that – did a recipe kind of like that too that's not necessarily low rye it's not 50 something percent you know we're just right at 51 52 percent on our rye so i'd like to do something kind of in between because i do think ours is a little bit sweeter at times than i'd like it uh but man even our recipe if you find that and you know some of the guys that are here have had it when you have that one of my barrels that i you know i'm just lucky enough i get to go and pick them out there's nothing better at our distillery well we'll <laughs> uh see you next year yeah, come on up. <laughs> we got plenty of barrels. And I think some of that might be in that new Master's Keep, but we'll see. We'll see. We were talking about Master's Keep before we got on, and we're actually drinking the Master's Keep right now. And this is a, a wine finish. 
Uh, it's not often that Masters Keep or, or Wild Turkey goes to a wine finish at all. If you think about a lot of the stuff, it's it's very straightforward. Just here's the whiskey. What made... Uh, who was the biggest influence on this? Jimmy or Eddie? And um, Definitely not Jimmy. Uh, it was definitely a dad thing. Um, and I think, and I, you know... Uh, Dad started to give me a little bit of credit, not on the making, but on just kind of the idea behind it. So I think the idea kind of started with me and Dad whenever I, before I moved down to Austin. We had an old product called Wild Turkey Sherry Signature. It was a 10-year-old, one-on-one proof, sherry finished product. I don't even know if it touched a sherry barrel, but it was fortified. So we dumped some sherry down into the bottle, and the product wasn't that good. And so Dad wanted to do a new one called Revival. And kind of bring that back that brand. But this all started, we were in the old bottling plant, sneaking around in there. And we found a couple cases of that old Wild Turkey Sherry Signature. And uh, we thought maybe we could do something different. So Dad took it a lot more serious, put some 15-year-old stuff and some, you know, 25 and older, basically, Oloroso Sherry Casts, age for eight or nine weeks. And it turned out to be my favorite one we've done. So while, while we're talking about this revival, I got to yeah. let you know that Zeke had to leave. So Zeke has a two-month-old baby, and we we were lucky enough to get him for 20 or so minutes. We do have a lot of people sitting here watching us. We have the Barrels and Brews guys. We have Andrew, uh, one of your reps. We have Galen, who's here. We have uh, lots of people that are involved. This call to the bullpen is brought to you by Wild Turkey. Uh, who wants to come sit down and, and talk with us? Justin from Carruthers Wine and Spirits, Barrels and Brews, you don't have to talk. I mean, if you have a question, just jump in. Hello, hello. How you doing? <laughs> Ciao. What's up? I'm filling in for Zeke. How you doing? It, it's not often that we have like a <laughs> rotating... I like this. Yeah. In five minutes, you're going to get up and say It's like a whose line, who's line is in any way type of deal. Totally yeah. cool with that. We need somebody scoring us or something. Exactly. So... Wild Turkey doesn't always get the wine finishes, but you know you were able to bring it in and able to kind of um, experiment with some different casks. Campari um, is kind of changed a little bit the way that they approach Dad, Jimmy, and even the production of the whiskey. I think when they first bought us as, and was our parent company, not that they didn't let us do what we wanted. They were just a lot more conservative. They wanted us to keep doing what we were doing, you know, make sure – we had everything under wraps. Didn't want to do a lot of innovation, I don't think, right away, especially on the older limited stuff. Um, but once that first Masters Keep came out, that's 17, and they could kind of see what Dad and the distillery team, because I don't want – this is one thing that I don't think enough distillers or distillery people get up and talk about. Dad is not the one that makes the whiskey by him. Like, he doesn't make it by himself. He is the head of a big team. And his team is awesome. There's a guy named Norm and a woman named Shaylin that are part of his technical team that really help him nail these products down. And once 17 came out, Campari realized, like, Eddie's got some cool ideas and his team's awesome. They can do these really neat things. Decades and now the revival. I think this is going to be an annual thing where they're going to let Dad be a whiskey nerd and do stuff that he was not allowed to do before because people weren't into it. And while Turkey just, I guess we weren't really that type of brand. But Dad has kind of trans- transitioned us into a traditional brand that's doing some cool modern things. And that makes me excited. I heard uh, one of the things that you do when you move back from Lawrenceburg is you have to put yeast in your fridge. 
in case something happens. Yeah. Uh, it, is that is that true? I mean, there, there's legend. Well, Jimmy's not going to let me uh, have any of that yeast until he's gone, but he's never going to let Dad have any. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> Once he's passed, I'll probably get his from as a hand-me-down. But, his brother's still got some, you know, just in case his, uh, his power goes down. His brother's got a generator, he said. I, I heard that, like, it's very uh, it's very common if you're a Russell that you have to have yeast in your freezer. Oh, and when Campari purchased us, I don't think that they thought that was as funny as I do, that that's kind of how we took care of our yeast. Uh, <laughs> but Granddad still has some because he said he doesn't trust the Italians yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it's great. You know, with the innovation, I, I, but I also love, and one of the things that I think if you talk to experienced bourbon people right now or the whiskey nerds, that they're always going to say that you, you can get a Russell's Reserve pick and a Four Roses pick and you're going to be fine. You know, those, I agree. Those two are kind of my go tos. I think I. Something going on in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. I know. I'm telling you. No. It's also the ones that always have the stickers on them. So I don't know if it's a sticker thing or if it's the, uh, you know, we are, we are talking to Justin who is known for putting some stickers well, on them. I think, it, I don't think the sticker thing is, I think it's one of those like weird inverse correlations where if somebody cares enough about their barrel picks to go through and design a kitschy label and sticker and name it something cool, that's somebody that's taking it serious anyway. And so they're generally going to do a better job than somebody that's coming to the distillery and looking at dad and being like, I can make money off these barrels. Give me eight or whatever you want, which also happens. It's also a fun thing to like kind of relate back to because we're so passionate about barrel picks and the whiskey industry for when we go up and pick these selections, it's kind of easy for us to relate back to instead of, hey, the fifth pick that we've picked this year from Russell's Reserve, Wild Turkey, uh, unless we do like Haters Gonna Hate, HGH, or Backstage Pass, stuff like that. So it's, you know, we, we take the time, and it's always fun for us, and we care about it. So, And you guys have like a Russell's pick coming out every week next year, right? Well, I think we picked a few the last time we were up there with uh, Mr. <laughs> Bruce. They sure did, yeah. That's right, brother. Uh, yeah, we're we're pretty excited about those, and um, yeah, uh, I think uh, we're looking at first quarter of 2019. Everybody save up your money, and a lot of people are going to be using their annual bonus over at Barrels and Brews next year. But Bruce, that brings up another point. I mean, if you think about all of the things you have to do, you know, there's not only the actual distilling part and kind of absorbing what you can from from your dad and your grandfather. There's the brand ambassador part that you never really 100% get rid of, even yeah. if you aren't officially the brand ambassador. And then you have the all the stuff that goes on at the distillery, the barrel picks, the you know meeting groups of people that are excited to come in, hang out with the Russell. Um, what's your favorite part of all of that? And I, I know that's kind of putting you on the spot. But no, what, no, you're fine. Um, it doesn't really put me on the spot at all because I think I got to answer. Two things are my favorite things. One of my favorite things in the world is either being alone by myself or with dad. And dad's the only other person I'd want there. Not even Jimmy because Jimmy always, he likes to talk and pick and it, I need to be quiet. And me and him walking in one of the warehouses by ourselves, neither of us are speaking to each other. We're getting whiskey right out of the barrel with a thief and finding that one sugar barrel, honey barrel, perfect barrel, whatever the hell you want to call it, and just looking at each other like, oh, shit, we found something special. That's the coolest thing in the world to me. 
when you can find that one whiskey, that one barrel, that one blend when it happens and everything turns out perfect. That is something really special. And I think the next thing that, that it's not all the ambassador stuff. Um, part of that job's not great. You know, there are downsides to it. But it's getting to travel around and meet people like y'all or like the people that were at the, the whiskey house last night or it, that are coming to these liquor stores and hanging out for an hour talking to me. People that are passionate about something that we would have had to pay people to act passionate 15, 20 years ago. And now you get 30, 40, 50 people in a liquor store or a bunch of people in a, um, a dude's house filled up with whiskey or whatever it is. That's so cool to me that people care about what my family does. So and, that's awesome. And I'm very sorry Zeke and I weren't there last night. We are. That's all right. More whiskey for me. We are members. We should have been there. But we knew you were coming to my house tonight, so we knew that it was okay is this the first podcast you ever had to record at somebody's house at like 11 o'clock at night? At this hour, yes. <laughs> but not. this is not my first podcast in someone's house or my first podcast in someone's house with their daughter asleep. And my daughter is <laughs> sleeping right now. I've been on podcasts with people's kids before, which is also interesting. If you met my daughter, you'd love my daughter. Justin, actually, my daughter has a big crush on Justin. Freaking love that girl. <laughs> Every time she sees Justin, she wants to pull out his beard and she smiles at him. As she should. It's fine. Where do you see wild turkey going? I mean, a lot of people want cast strength. Do you think that's something? Because Russell's reserve only goes to 110 right now. Yeah. Um, do you see cast strength coming out? So I'll answer a lot of the questions I know everybody always wants to ask. Yeah, go ahead and just... Like, boom, 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 yeah. get them out of the way. Cast strength barrel picks. Because uh, people come up and they're like, when can I get a cash strength wild turkey? Well, everybody, there's rare breed, which is a cash strength wild turkey. So which one, I think, by the way, that is the you most know. underrated bottle. The 116.8 is, the is delicious. Love it. Delicious. Love it. Um, I think it's much better than the last one, but that's just my personal preference. The 116.8 is I really buying. like the 116, and for 35, 40 bucks, wherever you're at, that stuff's awesome. But for the barrel picks, we're trying. That is something that me and dad have made a priority to talk to the company about, that we've already got the company on board to discuss that, to start programming, to start planning that out. A distillery, and especially a distillery that's owned by a large corporation, has a lot more back-end stuff going on than most people even realize. And because of that, it takes a while to get anything done. Even when someone agrees that it's going to happen, it can be one, two, three years down the line. But single barrel, like private barrel picks... At barrel strength is a thing that I do think will happen. What about rye picks? Rye picks, God, I hope I hope so. Uh, that's Same. been something that we've been promised for a while. We've been promised by the company. We were promised this past year thirty this year thirty barrels to put out. Those thirty barrels aren't happening, and that's made people mad that got promised those barrels. That's made us upset because we were excited about those barrels. And so I don't know what to tell people at the moment because. We've been told yes before, and then it didn't happen. So I'm hoping. Something that I, I would like to say, because I also get a lot of questions about non-chill filter, because I do think that's a big deal, and I think a bigger deal than a normal consumer knows. Um, and as big of a deal as I think most secondary or, or whiskey nerd people or whatever people call themselves now, that they know it is. Like if people know now that non-chill filter is a big deal, and we're slowly moving there. Again, it takes a while, but there's going to be a non-chill filtered rare breed coming out that's going to be duty-free for a year or two three years, and then it's going to be available retail, so they'll be all non-chill filter rare breed, hopefully. And we're going to try to move everything that's a hunter-proof and above that's not a baseline product to go to non-chill filter. Um, 
we luckily, and you all listening, and I mean, your podcast and everybody in this room right now is a part of it. You all have made whiskey a thing again, and so it allows us to do that cool stuff. It just might take a few more years. It's going to take a while. You know, if, if you're going to do something now based off of what the market wants, because, it might take six to eight years to get there. Exactly. Yeah. Because uh, people are like, well, whiskey's hot. Well, that's right. Now we're all doing well. So now that we're all doing well, now we can start to plan because whiskey takes so long to do. I wish we would have known whiskey was going to be hot 10, 15, 20 years ago because then we would have a bunch of glut of old cool shit that we could sell for $500 a bottle. And we could call it the Russell Family Collection and put it up for auction, 27-year-old stuff, and make you pay $12,000 for it. But we didn't know that was going to happen. <laughs> uh, but we're going to try to, now that whiskey's good, set aside cool stuff like that. Because um, that's the way Dad thinks. And I've been lucky enough to always, since I started drinking as 21, whiskey was already cool. And so me and Dad know we can set cool stuff aside now that's not just one-on-one, that's not just one-on-one ride, that's not even just rare breeder spirit as much as we love those products and hopefully down the line we'll be able to make a lot more cool 17 masters keeps or revivals or russell's 98s or this new rye that's about to come out stuff like that so what other questions do you know and then i actually went to our facebook group cool and i said what questions do you have for bruce some of them are uh okay yeah some of them are better than okay and uh i'm not just saying you can fire away what is your favorite non-wild turkey brand bourbon or rye, knowing you? Uh, I mean, it just depends. It, it depends on, if it's like a, if something I can get no matter what. Man, some of the, the store picks from Four Roses, and just there's, just Four Roses in general. I'm not a huge yellow label drinker. You know, for 15 bucks though, that is a hidden gem. You get more out of that 80 proof than you do in, in some you know, 110 proofs. I agree. Not um, Russell's Reserve. But their but. small batch and single barrels are incredible. And their limited yeah. editions are, are good. So, uh, you know, Four Roses is a um, a favorite of mine. I'm biased about a lot of other things. Like, I love a lot of bean products. Part of that same reason, like, I love Wild Turkey because my family makes it. I love bean because it's good, but also because I love Fred and Freddie. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I'll say, I like almost every distillery in Kentucky. I do like every store in Kentucky. Everybody makes something I like. Um, rise. Man, I like a lot of these weird rise that are out. You know, little hole-in-the-wall, mom-and-pop places that are making rye whiskey is so cool to me. Because rye whiskey it, doesn't yeah. take very long to age. You can... I don't care what anybody says, and I'm sure there's people that are bristle if they hear me say this. I've never had a craft bourbon that was two-year-old that I thought was worth a damn. Two-year-old whiskey is bourbon. It's just not as good as that same bourbon would good be. Rye. For, you can find a good two and four-year-old rye. You dang right. You it can. took me a long time to realize this, but it's the citrusy. You know, so I was trying to find a way to describe that youth. And it's so much acidic citrus that is on that young bourbon that almost turns me off a little bit. There are some that are really good that have put malt in there. Yeah. A lot more malt. And, and I think that can hide... Uh, sometimes barrel strength. Now I've had the... some young, like foreign younger bourbon yeah. that I liked. It just in the back of my mind, part of me is always thinking, "Man, if this had four more years, it'd yeah. be amazing." But I've had some two and four year old rise that I were like, "Damn, this is this is something else. This Same is good." Here, yeah. 
So I want to let you know we had eight more questions about Masters Keep Rye. Um, can we get Russell's Reserve Single Barrel at Castrag? Any chance we ever see age statements return as production continues to ramp up? I've had some more questions. I don't know what they mean by that. Like, are we going to age state everything we make? No. People really get stuck on age statements. Just like this bottled and bond stuff. And I answered somebody's question online about bottled and bond not too long ago. And it wasn't even really answered. I just stuck my opinion in there. Age statements limit you. I don't think that they're necessarily always a good thing. Now, yes, if you loved a product that had a 15 or a 9 or 10 or 12-year-old age statement and they took the age statement off and you think they're putting 5- and 6-year-old juice in there, they might be, and that is a bad thing. But if we were to stick an age statement on something like one-on-one, now it's probably going to be a 7- or 8-year-old age statement. Well, guess what one-on-one's got in it this year? Some 9- and 10-year-old stuff because a lot of our 8-year-old went to Long Branch. But if it said 8, guess how old it's always going to be? Eight years old one day. Well, it's like you were talking about that cheesy gold foil that's a 12. But, you know, some of the stuff you said is in there is 18. Yeah, because you just throw stuff in there. And being able to blend does help us. We don't rotate our barrels. I think Maker's Mark's the only one that still does in any quantity. Because they want their product, all their products, to be very similar in flavor profile. They do one thing and do it really well. We have a whole line of... You know, Rare Breed doesn't taste anything like Russell's 10, doesn't taste anything like Long Branch, doesn't taste anything like our just normal baseline products. And so we need each floor, each different flavor. And if it's all eight year and you throw it all in there, it wouldn't taste right. So we might have to go back to rotation. I will say that you're going to continue to see new stuff we put out have age statements, like the 17 did. You'll start seeing that more and more as dad gets his way more and more. Because we do like, if we're going to do something special for you to know how old it is. But I, I don't think on base products, I don't think anybody's going to go back to doing age-stated base products. To be honest, and I know that's not the answer everybody wants to hear, but it's just not going to happen. Age statement doesn't mean everything at all either. No. So, well, I got into an argument with a guy the about the um, bottled and bond thing. And it's a similar type of thing. Like, well, we, why don't y'all just make a bottled and bond? What all bottled and bond tells you that's different than the way we do it in somebody else is it's four years old and 100 proof. And I don't know about you, I'd rather have a six-year-old in 100 proof. Now, a six-year-old's still bottled and bond, but if all it says on it's bottled and bond, guess how old that juice is? Four. Four years old. <laughs> you know? And you're limiting yeah. yourself really to just one. If you did it by the law, it has to be from one season. So it's yep. all the exact same age. Well, what if that season wasn't any good? And guess what? That happens. A distillery's temperamental. We'll have whole seasons where we didn't think the whiskey was that great. And then we'll run into seasons like, I mean, everybody that's chased Dusty's knows like cheese, go for it, whatever the one they like, whether it's 91 or 89 or 80, whatever it is, they got that one year and they think special. That one different season. That's because that one season and that one blend was something that was special. Well, if you limit yourself to just one age, you don't get that. One comment here is Bruce is awesome. I figured you'd like that. Yeah. Thanks, um, man. Whoever you are. That was that was Justin Brokaw. You yeah, met him last yeah, yeah, yeah. night. Yeah, yeah, Justin's a good dude. The uh he, he has a great Southern Luxury Life on Instagram. Go ahead and go follow him. Our friend Dave says, How's the future of the barrel program look? You know, obviously everybody wants to do barrels. Everybody stop buying them because we're running out. Uh. <laughs> well, and, and that's a fair that's thing. The craziest if you look thing at, for uh, us. If you look at, at Buffalo Trace, they've had to suspend some of their barrel selections. Our barrel our barrel selections are suspended right now. They're basically cut off for the rest of the year and we're probably not opening back up until you know, until really y'all start getting your all's barrels about 
you know, first, they say first quarter, which probably means March-ish, because that's after our national sales meeting and kind of the beginning of our year. And so that's probably when those barrels will come out. Well, we never in a million years, any of these distilleries, when we started these programs, these projects, that we were going to have as much demand for single barrel private barrels. And we don't know what to do. If we wanted to sell as many as people want now, we'd have to build a whole new bottling facility and have a whole new warehouse just to have people in and out. You mean like what Four Roses had to do? Yeah, very similar. And they are a smaller operation than us and had to do that. You know, we would have to build a whole new big bottling plant. But it is exciting. I think the single barrel, private barrel programs are one of the best things that's ever happened to our industry, though. It It's so much goodwill towards these brands. And it kind of lets the brands that are really good at what they do, us, Four Roses. I mean, everybody in Kentucky, when you get that real good um, Weller barrel or you get that real good Elijah Craig barrel or that real good Makers 46 or Russell's or Four Roses, whatever it is, and the ones outside of Kentucky too, when you get that real good barrel, not only are you all proud of it, but when I see people online talking about Russell's barrels, I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> you know, that's right. We do make good whiskey, don't we? It, it kind of lets us flaunt what we do because, to be honest, those private picks, that's the best juice we've got. You all are getting the best stuff we have when you all are getting them private picks because that's the stuff, especially us. I think the coolest thing about our private barrel program, nobody ever picks barrels by just some random worker. Anybody that's ever picked a barrel with us either did it with me or dad. No other company I know of that's a big bourbon company in Kentucky are you hanging out with the master still or the family or whoever, and that's who you're doing the picks with. So when we tell y'all, y'all are getting our honey and sugar barrels, sometimes dad sells barrels that he promises me he won't sell, and it pisses me off when he does it. <laughs> do you, do you <laughs> Some of them are the famous down? ones that people have had in liquor stores. Do you go track it down? Hell yeah, and go get a bottle. And guess what? No one's ever given me one of them for free. I have to go pay too. Shoot, bro. I'm like, you stole my barrel. You're like, you stole my barrel. You want another good pick when you come up? Hell yeah. And that happens more than you think. Luckily, he hadn't sold anybody one of my rye barrels. But Speaking of, of you know famous single barrels that are out there, uh, somebody asked, what's your favorite sticker? It kind of is a throwback to a question we already had. My favorite sticker is this one in this room right now with Jimmy on a scooter. Um, from Electric Spirits. Yeah, the the real king of Kentucky. It's, it's got Granddad sitting on his little motor scooter. So, for those of you unaware, Granddad still comes to work as much as he can, usually seven days a week. He's not there all the time anymore. He only comes for, you know, two or three hours. But he can't get around as much as he used to. And so, the company bought him a scooter. And he got mad. He's not an old man, you know. He's only 85. He ain't an old man. And he wouldn't get on it. Well, then they slapped his name and his title on there. So now it says Jimmy Russell, Master of Stewart. Somebody know who he is. He ain't got off of it since. <laughs> and uh, so they got him sitting on that scooter with his little cape, uh, dra- you know, draped around him like a king. They even got his uh, the his gap in his teeth. That's it's that's a funny, funny label. That's one of my favorites I've seen. Did you bring one that's of those up one. to him? He has seen it. He has not seen like the bottle in person, but he's seen the picture. He loved it. Yeah, so, my cousin showed it to him. Speaking of which. Also from your favorite single barrels, you know, you talk about your dad and, and you going around. From all I can tell, your dad's favorite warehouse is G. That is traditionally dad's favorite. This year it's been a little different. Dad's really liked K this year. But do you have a favorite warehouse? B. Yeah, definitely B. So backstage pass from Barrels and Brews, that had to have been something that you probably liked. And I know you were a part of that one anyway, so. Yeah, um... B, you're in, you're out. 
uh, has always had really good juice coming out of it. None of our other warehouses age juice quite like that because it's one of those with A that was built in the 1890s. Built different, built kind of unsafe because it's right next to all the other buildings around it. So if it ever catches on fire, we're screwed. But because of that, there's like nice wind tunnels that come in between those buildings. It keeps those warehouses much uh, dry, drier and airier. It makes for really good whiskey. And warehouse A is not as good because we're in it. We're always in there fooling around in A and picking barrels. And us being in there isn't necessarily bad, but it can't be good for that whiskey. So B is kind of left alone. I think it's a little bit better. Um, and sentimentally, that was like some of the first stuff I ever got to try was Warehouse B juice right out of the barrel. Uh, so looking back when I was a kid, getting to experience that, Warehouse B will always be my favorite. So what's one thing in Mimi's notebook that hasn't been produced yet that you are itching to make? And that comes from our good friend Seth Brown, who has a podcast, The yeah. Firewater Review. Um, well, Seth, I would like to make some gin. I don't know if you knew I was going to say that. Uh, some people would because I've talked about it. We made all kinds of crazy stuff back in the day, and we bottled a lot of cool stuff back in the day. A lot of the scotches in the United States and all the Campari sold in the United States for a while was bottled at Wild Turkey. We made a bunch of different spirits. We aged a bunch of different stuff. There's a lot of like famous brands that we probably made juice or sold juice to and that kind of thing going on back then. One of the coolest things he has written down, they had old gin still there, and he used to make what today would be a super expensive artisan gin, which I'm sure the botanicals were much easier to get back then. It sounds delicious. It doesn't seem... It seems like you'd be able to find the ingredients still and be a little expensive. And I'd really like to recreate what they did back then because that's something I don't really know. I mean, I know how gin's made and I kind of know the basics. I've never made any. So it'd be something I'd like to fool with and see if I could pull it off. Do you think you do kind of... I wouldn't sell it though. No. But do you <laughs> think you do... Thing. Something kind of like what Marianne Barnes is doing at Castle and Key. I find that super interesting. You know, kind of, you know, Harlan Wheatley kind of does it with his vodka, in which the the mashes are very much bourbon mashes for the clear juice. Mm-hmm. I think that's interesting. However, by definition, a neutral green spirit is a tasteless, odorless, colorless spirit. Now, anybody that's ever had vodka or neutral green spirit knows, depending on what you make it out of, it does change it. I would never make a clear spirit out of a bourbon mash because I've had better clear spirits made with other things. Um, I think a bourbon mash is best with bourbon. Uh, If I was going to make a vodka, I'd try to make it out of something like uh, a single grain or grapes or something that was a little bit cleaner. The reason why I love bourbon is when you run bourbon through a still at the right proof, it's... I don't want to call it a dirty distillate because that's not right, but it's a funky distillate. There's a lot of different alcohols, you know, methanol, propanol, butanol, stuff like that, that make that whiskey really cool as it ages. That's why we taste stuff like cinnamon and clove and floral notes and, and earthy notes. And I just think it'd almost be a waste to make that into a neutral grain. If it has the potential, it'd be like, man, if I just distilled that to 125 instead of 190, it'd be way better. So I'll give you a little pro tip. The uh, go talk to Charlie and Andy over at Bellmead, yeah, and they made this stuff. It's called Right on the Honey, mm-hmm. and they did it for the beeswax or the the honey. Like there was a a honey conference in Nashville. That's cool. And they took um, honey and actually made it. It almost the way they distilled it. It was almost like they made a gin from the honey. Now that sounds good. And it's really 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 good they never sold it they have it and see that makes a lot more sense to me because honey is a sweet kind of like 
it, it's got a lot of flavor, but it's not like a competing flavor like a lot of the stuff in bourbon mesh is. I bet that makes an awesome dislike. I tried the Belmede Honey Project, the whiskey. That's one of the coolest things I've had. But they have another time. one, and I know that you would have... I, I was lucky enough uh, to sit down with them and they let me have a taste. I know you probably would have a little more access than I would now. Um, I'd really like to try that. That sounds awesome. So you, you should ask them for that. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Here's one for you. Did Jaretta have any influence on you deciding to work for the distillery as she did with both your father and grandfather? Granny Joe. Uh, for anybody that doesn't know, uh, my grandmother, Jaretta, or as I call her, Granny Joe, is the real head of the family. She worked at the distillery before Jimmy did. She was a secretary there, and she was a little bit older. Granddad was 19. Granny told him he needed to get a job, so he got a job at the distillery where she worked. <laughs> She didn't have any influence on me working there. I think she probably, in her mind, was scared about me working with Dad and Jimmy because she's seen Dad and Jimmy kind of get into it over the years and their relationship go through ups and downs because of work. And I don't know if she even wanted that for me. Now that I've gotten into it and I've gotten much closer with Jimmy, I've always been close with Dad, I think she's gotten really happy uh, that I'm kind of part of, of that legacy. But, but she had a huge impact just on me in general. I have the best women in my family. The men, obviously, are awesome. Everybody knows Dad and Jimmy, and they're great. But I have great women in my family, my mom and my grandma. So Granny Joe had a lot more impact on me than the distillery stuff. couple things in here. Uh, somebody wants to know if you're looking for a wife. Um, not, not for a wife. Maybe. You know, I ain't looking. <laughs> he, he has to take you to dinner first at least. Yeah. Uh, right now, I'm just here for a good time, not for a long time. Be- Beatles or Stones uh, is one question. Uh, neither. So what? what is it, if you were to listen to something, uh, give me three people you're listening to in your car right now. Danny Brown, who's a hip-hop artist. ZZ Top. Uh, I've gotten into like stuff I listened to when I was a kid. Dad's a huge Southern rock head. Like, Dad grew up in the 70s and 80s, so he likes that kind of music, but he kind of likes the redneck versions of those music. So a lot more like Skinner and ZZ Top style, you know. Um, and so I've been listening to a little bit of that because it reminds me uh, of of my childhood. I've also low-key been listening to a little bit of classical music, which is something new. My mom was a big-time pianist. Uh, she can play like concert piano and... Uh, I've kind of started listening to a little bit of that as I'm trying to pick up the guitar again. I played instruments as a kid. And so I've gotten a little bit more serious about music. No Beatles or Stones or anything like that though. Well, hey, that's awesome. Yeah. Maybe some Grateful Dead. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Fish just came through a couple weeks ago here. It was a good show. So Justin, you got anything? Oh, yeah. No. No. <laughs> Easy, Wally. Less is more. Hey, man, I'm good. I was just a fill-in for a few minutes, so have to be a part of this. Contribute, you know. Cool. Well, there's lots of barrels. Uh, barrels I know you picked with Bruce. Uh, so Barrels and Bruce is going to be hopping the beginning of next year. Everybody go check them out in their, their new store in Nolansville when it opens in the beginning of next year. Any word on the date of when that's going to open or when just Q1 next year, we should expect it. We're still waiting on everything to get finished. Um, very excited about it. Can't wait to get out there. Can't wait to get, Oh, just, yeah, we're just waiting. So, well, we can't wait either until then go see them at Carruthers wine and spirits. Bruce, 
Is there anything you want to leave us with? Like, what are you looking forward to in the next 10 to 15 years in, in bourbon? You know, you see a lot of things changing. What, yeah, I'm really bourbon? looking forward to And some of them even aren't in my generation. They're in the generation above me. Uh, but I'm really excited to see what I consider kind of my generation of people grow in this industry as I do. There's not too many of the the family people still around, and that's a bummer. Me and little Freddie uh, over at, at Beam. Um, and then, thankfully, the Henderson family has gotten into whiskey and doing angels with me. So that's always exciting to see people that their grandfathers were with Jimmy doing that kind of thing, and that family thing's exciting. I'm also excited to see a lot of these younger dudes like – uh, and women. Um, uh, you know, we got Marianne over at Castle and Key. You got Drew over at Wilt doing some cool stuff. Uh, one of my dad's kind of, I don't know if you'd call him apprentice or what, what you call him, a guy that worked under dad at our distillery is now over at Rabbit Hole, and he's going to start making stuff over there. So to, so to see these people that are people that I consider my peers or even people that I look up to and see where they're going to push bourbon, that's exciting for me. So is there anyone, and this will be the last question I'll leave you with. Is there anyone that you would really want to collaborate with from a, like, it, you know, if you think about it, you, you like hip hop, right? Mm-hmm. If you could collaborate, like in hip hop, who, who would you collaborate with? Freddie would probably be the first one. Uh, our families have been close over the years. I really like some of the stuff. Like, I've gotten to talk to him a little bit about the whiskeys that, that, he has ideas about and like what he wants to do and kind of his take. And I think that we kind of have, we share a similar mindset where yes, our dads may go whiskey, but the way we think about it, especially palate wise is a lot closer to what both of our grandfathers did. I think it would be cool if he maybe did like something like a Booker's. I did something like a rare breed and we made it as like a blend. We just did like a barrel proof thing. That'd be cool. I'd really like to work with him. Um, Remix. Exactly. I'd like to work, with anybody at Four Roses, I think that that is something that neither distillery has. We might have approached each other over the years. We're in a small community in Larsburg. You know, it's thousands of people. And to have two of the major distilleries in the United States there, why haven't we done something like that? And just call it like, you know, something Lawrenceburg or something Anderson County or sure, whatever. See that. You know, cross-county rivals or whatever you wanted to do. I think that'd be cool. And, and then I would like to do more stuff and this is stuff that Jimmy and them used to do every now and then that we haven't done in a while. And I don't know if it'll happen because there's so much money and everybody's scared to do things with each other. We don't do enough as a state. We should be doing stuff as an industry, not every year, maybe once every two, three, four years, where we all collab. Why aren't mm-hmm. we doing something where we're doing like a pack where while Turkey has something, Brown Foreman has something, Buffalo has something, you know, there's seven or eight big distilleries now making cool stuff. And people like Castle and Key and Willett and, you know, Steve Beam out in Lebanon and all these cool little distilleries. Why aren't we all getting together and doing cool releases with each other? I think that I'd like to remix with everybody. I think that's a thing that the industry's missing out on. I would love to see that. Me too. Because that's how it used to be. It used to be, if your stills broke down, we're going to make your whiskey for you for free, you know, or... If you need a bottling plant, we got one you can use. You know, if you need yeast or a recipe or you need help getting you your started. You just can't get it from Jimmy's Get together freezer. and make something fun no. together. I, I but now, that. you know, a little bit, it's not yeah. It's not like that. Like you speak with Jimmy and Parker and Booker and Elmer and Lincoln. All those guys. I wish it was. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. Thank you for, for coming and hanging out. Thank you oh, for thank letting you me uh, sip on that Master's Keep. You're very welcome. Um, and I'll say anybody listening to this, if you have any questions or 
comments, concerns, jokes, funny stories, if Jimmy did something wrong to you, uh, <laughs> reach out to us. Like, we're very available. Uh, and I don't think people take enough advantage. Now, don't show up to the house on Thanksgiving like somebody did at Jimmy's house one time. Um, yeah. <laughs> but hit us up on Instagram. Dad's got Instagram. Dad's got Facebook. I've got Twitter and Instagram. Hit us up. Ask questions. We'll answer you. If you really do want to know, like, where's that non-chill filter stuff or where's that rye, we're going to answer you. So, yeah, hit us up. Come to the studio. Come hang out. Be a part of the fam. Well, we can't wait uh, to see what you're going to do. And, and thank you so much for spending time with us. If you're wondering where to spend time with Zeke and I more, go ahead and join our Facebook group at Dad's Drinking Bourbon. You can search for us. We're a closed group. Answer some questions. We'll let you in. You can also like us on Facebook at Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Follow us on Twitter at Bourbon Dads. Follow us on Instagram at Dad's Drinking Bourbon. You can find our podcast on Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, Podknife, TuneIn, TuneOut, Up, Down, Left, Right, AB, Select, Start. Go ahead and find us. Leave us a five-star review. If you don't like us, reach out to us just like you would to Bruce and his family. Tell us why you don't like us or tell us why you like us, and we would love to talk to you some more. You can also find us in Nashville, Tennessee. We hope you all enjoyed, and come back and see us again soon. Cheers. Ciao. Cheers, y'all.